My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Post Credit Podcast. Oh, see, I forgot how I start the show. Hello, hello, <laughs> and welcome back to the Post Credit Podcast. I am your host, Eric Italiano, senior writer at BroBible.com. And today, as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Kate Onder, who you could find writing about video games over at ComicBook.com. We're also joined by our buddy Brandon Katz over at Parrot Analytics. Boys, it's been over a month since we've done a podcast. It's great to see your guys' faces. We have missed a lot. The death of Black Adam and DC, <laughs> the rise of Avatar, and the subsequent sequels. A new year. This is now year three of the podcast, so congrats to us. Let's go. What's going on with you, boys? I, I bought a car. Oh, that's right. That's right. Big moves. Yeah. That's big move. You're you're finally old. You're finally old enough to drive now, right? <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Uh, you know, 16 years old. I'm I'm very excited. Uh, got a lot of big things going on in my life. Graduate graduating high school soon. What what kind of car did you get, man? I got a 2023 Acura Integra. All right, everybody who hates Cade's opinions, now you know who to target. <laughs> don't do that no that's and, great and it's that. probably the only one in iowa too so he won't as far as i know down. yes <laughs> savage all right so as i said this is our first of the year there is nothing major for us to recap quite yet we're going to start doing that next week with the last of us kate has already seen the first four of ten Mm-hmm. Four of ten. I think there's uh, might be nine. It's nine, nine, or, nine or ten. One of the two. That's a good chunk. He actually saw them a month ago. Covering mm-hmm. it. You're doing reviews or recaps. Uh, or? I am helping out with like supplemental content. Not like we're beat by beat recaps, but kind of like here's this thing you might have missed or whatever. Here's how this ties into the game. Kind of stuff like that. Uh, so various little little pieces that I'll be so doing. Cade will be covering over at comicbook.com. Make yep. sure to check that out. We will be doing weekly recaps on this show. Cade, tell us your thoughts. I've heard nothing but insanely, insanely good things, which frankly, given the talent involved, it's not surprising at all. I was expecting yeah. great things. Was I expecting it to be hailed as a masterpiece in its first week? No, but that's kind of yeah. what I'm seeing so far. Yeah, so like this is the best video game adaptation ever. I think that's it's, but that's not a high bar because like Sonic is right there. You know, I'm what about Doom? Best. 2005. Oh, we, we, the don't Rock? Talk, we don't talk about Doom. Uh, <laughs> uh, Doom is the Bruno of the, video game adaptations. Exactly. The the other video game adaptations, a lot of them like do not adapt the games. Right? They like just take bits and pieces and do their own thing. This is the game. Like the the entire first season is the first game, full stop, and it doesn't deviate a ton from the show or the, uh, the main story. I mean, like you will see all of the big things. Um, there are additions, expansions. There is an entire episode that does not follow something that happens in the games. It is stuff that is implied in the games that you now get to see because it leaves Ellie and Joel's perspective for the, cause that's the, something that doesn't happen in the games. Right. So now you have this unique medium where you can follow a different character. Um, so that stuff's really cool. Um, and I think everyone crushes their roles. I know Bella Ramsey's been getting a lot of crap just because she doesn't look like Ellie in the video game. But the only person who does or did was Elliot Page. Like, that was the closest we ever had. So it's like the other people they were considering a long time ago for the Sam Raimi movie that they were going to do aged out of the role. So she does great. 
even if she doesn't really look identical, she's a little girl with brown hair, and that's the most important thing. And she acts like a badass. And uh, I haven't seen it, Cade, but I did follow along while I drank beer on the couch in college while my roommates <laughs> played it. And truly, the story is really overwhelmingly good yeah. and emotional. I think what I'm curious about, too, and, and I showed the trailer to my girlfriend, someone who's not initiated in this world at all, someone who had yeah. no idea what it was about. And she was like, so how is it different from The Walking Dead? And I thought that was actually a pretty fair question, given the kind of zombie adjacentness mm-hmm. of it. So I am curious how they differentiate themselves from some of the more popular, similar-ish genre efforts. Sure. Yeah, like The Walking Dead, I think, deals with an ensemble right it's a larger cast that is dealing with the larger world ramifications of a zombie apocalypse the zombie apocalypse part of the last of us is kind of secondary to the ellie and joel relationship uh for those who don't know the apocalypse happens like 30 years before the the game i think it's 20 years in the show and uh this older guy he's in his like 50s uh, is tasked with taking this little girl across the country because she is immune to this infection and they think that they can possibly use her to cure this whole disease and he doesn't like her at first and he's very bitter but they they grow closer and it's it's more a show about appreciating the world that we have because he's bitter and old and she's an optimist because she's young and she doesn't know what came before. Right. She's never seen the movies that they had. She never went to the zoo. So she gets to be like, what was going to a hotel like? And he's like, Oh yeah. Like you don't know what that is. And, and it's a very interesting relationship where he gets to kind of refine love and humanity and appreciate the world and think that maybe this is worth saving. It sucks right now, but maybe there's a reason to save this. And yeah, it sounds like it's going to thematically have more in common with Station Eleven than it did The Walking Dead. Uh, yeah. Kate, I, you know, it's been a few years since I played the games. Isn't it being known that she's immune so early on? Is that a change with the story? Uh, no, it's um, it happens within the first couple hours of the game, and it, I think it happens in the first episode of the show. Oh, okay. uh, so it's it's pretty in line. Um, a lot of things are dished out accordingly, you know, as you would expect them to be. Um, they really don't deviate from the big moments throughout the show, as far as I've seen. And uh, how's our boy Pedro? Dude, he's the best. He's the best. And, you know, like you see him outside of shows and he's like the most lovable, charismatic, funny guy. And in this, he has to play something very different. And he plays that you know, trauma ridden, bitter, masculine guy very well. But when Ellie starts to bring that light out of him, he handles it with the right amount of balance. Mm. It's he's very, very good in it. And he was never on my radar for Joel. Like it was always like Hugh Jackman and all these other guys. But like, as soon as they announced it, right. I was like, that's it. That's perfect. And, and he, he crushes it. Guys um, like Pedro and David Harbour are always good evidence examples of why sometimes it's okay to get famous and find mainstream success later in your career. Sure, definitely. So much more prepared, so much more talented and and developed as an actor and performer. Just kudos to those guys. And and since you said that season one is following the first game, does that mean Mm -hmm. you think it's only going to be a two-season show? 
So they've said that they have no interest in doing anything beyond the games. So uh, season two will be The Last of Us 2, but I believe their plan, as far as I understand from what they've said, is like they'll split that season because Last of Us 2 is a much longer game with a lot more complicated moving parts. So I would imagine they could do it you know, two, three, maybe four seasons. They really want to stretch that thin, but I, I think they'll probably go three yeah. and then wait for the third game because there will be a third game. I'm, I'm certain of it. So, oh, yeah, I can't wait for that. Um, you know, you'll, you'll get maybe four or five seasons out of this total when all is said and done. Really? That sounds long. I think game, so. But I'm there for it if it's as good as I've heard. All right, make sure to check back in the following weeks for our recaps of those. All right, moving on to the kind of, I guess, the first big trailer event of the year, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania. You're an interesting man, Scott Lang. You're an Avenger. You have a daughter. But you've lost a lot of time, like me. We can help each other with that. Dropped its official trailer on Monday during... B, did you know, and Kate, uh, that that was not only the biggest blowout in national championship games, it was the biggest blowout in a bowl game ever, period. I read that (laughs) after, you know, the event. So I I learned it, but I certainly didn't know that while it was going on. So, yeah, the Ant-Man trailer was probably the most exciting thing to happen during the game. I will say that Marvel, while their movies have been meh for the last year or so, their trailers have been excellent. So I have kind of lost the ability to get enthused for Marvel films based on trailers. And this one, I've got some concerns. So before we dive into sort of what I'm feeling about it, do you guys have general thoughts that are perhaps more positive? I like the idea that Ant-Man is trying to uh, get more time with his daughter, make up for the lost time. I I don't think we've seen enough of, of Marvel addressing the blip shit. And then even further, he was in prison, right? And so he's really... he has not seen his child grow up at all whatsoever right so there's a lot missing there i think that's a good emotional driving force and then i think uh kang looks cool as fuck and i think that goes without saying yeah i think the idea that they're trapped in a you know for 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 more or less the the right term off world location i like that i like kind of transporting the entire ant-man franchise to something very different uh, but you know what? I was higher on the first trailer than you two guys were, and I, I feel like I'm very meh on this trailer overall. <laughs> I have concerns. First and foremost, Kate, I am on the complete opposite page as you. I think that for somebody who went toe-to-toe with Thanos, and all right, granted, like he hasn't been there for his daughter's childhood, but he also knows that time travel exists. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, he was the one who did it. Mm-hmm. And it's not like she's interstellar old <laughs> at this point. Sure. She yeah, still yeah. has her whole life ahead of her. So I find him deciding to team, whether it be team up with or follow the instruction of Kang, despite the clear warnings from Michelle Pfeiffer's character in both the previous trailer and this one, I find that to be an extremely weak point. I also find it concerning that most of the trailer seems to be focused around Kang's sort of might and power, which you would think for a villain would be something that's largely reserved for a third. Like they show Kang beating the shit out of that yeah. man. Right. So I worry that in a film and a trailer that looks like it's basically just a Kang dynasty setup, which I am fine with Jonathan majors carrying a film 
in that sense. But what I'm not fine with is Marvel once again, sort of just teasing us along Mm -hmm. with something that I feel the motivation for Ant-Man is not strong enough to to convince me that they are legitimately telling an Ant-Man story. And that what the motivation of this film is, is that to just to introduce Kang. Now, I actually think that in terms, as far as their trailers go, the CGI looks really good. I think the thing that I was most excited about was the world environments that they're going to be in. I think it's got a mix of like sort of Guardians of the Galaxy vibes, but also like a bit of Tron vibes a mm-hmm. bit. So I'm into all that, but I do have concerns with sort of how a movie is going to sustain an emotional arc when it seems like A, the main character is going to be Kang, and B, Ant-Man's motivations to trust this multi-dimensional dictator to be extremely thin. Mm-hmm. I, I Brandon brought this up on Twitter, and I thought it was a very interesting point of you can't like defeat Kang at the end of this movie and have it be like feasible. I think that's what your kind of your point was, right? I I have the same point here. I said, how quickly is the MCU going to introduce a counterbalance to Kang? Because he already seems way too strong right now. Well, yeah, because the the, the trailer and I tweeted this, it's it's hinting at self-sacrifice for Scott, which leads Mm -hmm. me to believe that's a red herring. That's not going to be the case. But if Kang struggles to beat Ant-Man, even though, again, as someone rightfully pointed out, Kang needs something from Ant-Man, so you, you can tell why maybe he's pulling his punches or something. But if he even struggles a little bit, no offense to Ant-Man, who's not that powerful, how is he supposed to be the big bad of this next saga? That doesn't really stack up. But again, we haven't seen the full details. This could be a variant. It could just, he gets defeated and keeps coming, different versions of him. I don't know. But that was my first takeaway and then i'd say furthermore on that point i have a hard time believing that kang who has access to infinite timelines would need scott lang for anything agreed but i I will say i disagree with your earlier point about the emotional uh core because i actually think it's a really good idea for scott lang ant-man to have literally time traveled and saved half the universe which is the grandest scale, the grandest adventure any human being will ever go on in the history of humanity and bring it right back down to a really focused family story. This is about hope. This is about, you know, um, uh, Michael Douglas's character, whose name actually escapes. <laughs> Hank Pym. And, and his, yeah, Hank Pym, thank you. His daughter. This is a very, very focused story on, on their, you know, found family, which I, I, I think- I hear you, but how did he save the world? Time travel. Okay, so why not just use the thing, the same exact thing that- that they I mean, sent I, I think, back in. I think the lesson, though, is that you shouldn't futz around with it. Oh, I mean, so go fuck around with Kang instead. See, the logic is falling apart quickly. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think I understand why, you know, himself and others around him would be like, hey, man, we can't keep time traveling just to satisfy our own personal whims. Cappy, Cappy's an exception, but we really can't be doing that. And remember, they didn't want Cap to do that. I think they have to include some sort of line of that ilk. If, if I his bet goal... If his goal is to get time back, they have to be like, hey, at Avengers HQ, there is a time travel machine. I bet they will. But remember, the time travel machine was was destroyed when they, they nuked uh, Avengers facility and Tony Stark is dead. No, they send Cap back when oh, all yeah, shit they, is- They must have had a, a, a mobile oh, one. Yeah, you're backup. Right, right. They've got a whole fucking storage closet full of time travel devices. And always oh, going, oh, oh, I got to dap Kang up. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Hoops is dying. Hoops is dying. Oh, Hoops. I was like, who? Hope uh, is dying is dying. And Hope is yeah. that uh, Evangeline Lily's character. She uh yeah, she um 
besides the real life stuff that's going on with her, I, I don't think that's enough to probably give her the boot. But uh, the trailer definitely has like a moment where I was like, she's ah, barely in it. That's though. where she's gonna die. I think she dies not at the end. I think she dies somewhere in the middle, maybe. You know, like because um, I think that allows you to kill a character off that fans have a little bit more of a connection with than like Hank Pym. You know, I don't think people care as much about him. Uh, whereas I think the wasp, maybe there's a little bit more there uh, without killing Scott. And then it gives you a little bit more uh, of a drive to go after Kang. I think the answer is staring us in the face. I think it's uh, Occam's razor. The simplest solution is probably the right one. We've been talking about how Kang is going to prove himself as a threat. I do think Scott Lang is going to die, but more so than because what I've seen in, in the trailer is because I know with the with Secret Wars down the line, none of these deaths matter. Yeah. Tony Stark's coming back. Toby's coming back. Everybody's coming back. So they could kill Ant-Man, have it be like, oh, Ant-Man died. And then he's back in two years. So and- I do think that because of they are clearly setting up Kang Dynasty. It's in the trailer. Dynasty begins. <laughs> Here he is. Thanos was purple. This guy's blue. Check it out. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, I, I would like that because it would give it a little bit more stakes, even though, like you said, with the variants, stakes have kind of gone out the window. But I, I still think it, it's hope because each of the preceding two Ant-Man movies are about him losing something. In this, he loses hope both literally and figuratively, which I think sets up a nice Thor-like Avengers arc for a couple other movies. But I, I think it would be really cool if they had the cojones to ask Scott at the end of this. Yeah. All right. Any more thoughts here? That's about all I've got. I think what you said, though, is interesting because, like, you could feasibly kill off Scott Lang and and make at least a portion of the audience think, like, oh, he may actually be dead because unlike... And he could be. Unlike, unlike Infinity version. War, where you kill off half the Avengers, we all knew, oh, Black Panther 2, Spider-Man 2 is on the slate. Like, we knew definitively they were coming back. Whereas Scott Lang, it's like, there's not a guarantee that he does actually come back for Avengers. Let you me know? tell you that. Not only that, you could guarantee that there's not going to be an Ant-Man 4, especially Correct. when Ant-Man 3 features Kang. Where sure. do you go from there? Yeah, so that's fair. I think that at the end, you know, the same way that Batista's been telling the press pretty much James Gunn, please kill me. I'm done. You know what I mean? I can see Paul Rudd, who's, you know, Ant-Man came out 2015. That means he's probably been attached to the role for, you know, eight, nine years. I could see him being like, look, if you want me to come back for the big films in two years, call me, but I'm, you know, checking out. And I think it makes sense for all parties. It makes sense for Paul Rudd to go on and do more awesome stuff like um, Shrink Next Door. It allows for the film itself to have legitimate stakes and not just have Peyton Reed's talk of, whoa, we were tired of being the palate cleanser. We want to be an Avenger-sized film. Have that have some real credence. And then also solve the problem of how is Kang struggling with Ant-Man in the first place? Well, the answer to that is he doesn't, and he squashes him. So that would be my best bet. Plus, you think you take, you go from that, you go into Guardians 3, where, you know, half the team is dying. Marvels, they may kill Brie Larson for the fuck of it. You have have three back-to-back films full of, you know, legitimate franchise-changing deaths. 
I think that would be a really good way of doing it and be like, all right, you guys have fucking complained for the last almost 20 years that we don't kill anyone and actually commit to it. Well, even if they don't actually commit to it in the long run, we're going to make you think we're actually going to fucking stick with that for a bit. So I think that would be a smart way of doing it. Um, is there is there anything else movie-wise coming out after Marvel's? No, I think then we get into 2024, which is like Fantastic Four oh, and yeah. uh, Blade, if that still exists. <laughs> like that. We'll you see. Know. We'll see. Um, yeah, that could be a really interesting year of just like, we're just going to fucking kill people and yeah. you're going you're gonna to cry. All right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, our most anticipated movies of 2023, Draft. All right, and welcome back to the show. We are doing our most anticipated movies of the year as a way to facilitate the conversation and make it a bit more fun. We're going to do it as a draft format, three picks each. How do you guys suggest we determine who goes first? Do you want to like guess a number in a certain range or something? Right. Is there a website for that? Let's do a randomizer. Oh, oh yeah, we could do that. That's, that's a good idea. <laughs> You guys are getting too complicated. <laughs> Not that hard. Harry the one, divide by two. <laughs> That's why we All have right. three people here. Here we go. Randomized. Bah! Brandon, Eric, Cade. Okay, so Brandon, you get first pick. Eric gets second. Cade, you get third. And then, of course, you get double back. Okay. All right. Uh, all right. Let's take it from the top, B, with you. And, you know, please feel free to uh, vamp as much as you want to about these films, considering, you know, we're based on how things fall. We're basically saying here are our top 10 films of the year, kind of, sort of. Yeah, and I mean, in terms of anticipation, I know it's pretty basic, but for the first pick, I'm going to go with Oppenheimer. Theory will take you only so far. With such a weapon. But we have no choice. Fuck, I knew that was gonna happen. Yeah, because listen, Christopher Nolan, as as basic white boy as it is, is one of my favorite active filmmakers. While I think Tenet was his worst movie, or at least the one that I enjoyed the least out of his entire filmography, I, I think Oppenheimer is a really good balance between the type of prestige historical play that tends to be associated with awards and something that is still commercially accessible and full of very unique spectacle, which is a paramount moment in human history full of immense, powerful, destructive uh, capability. So I, I think that's really squarely in his wheelhouse. It's the type of on the paper concept that he can turn into something even more visually arresting than I think a, another traditional biopic, which can often be very formulaic and very boring. So, you know, I, I really like Christopher Nolan. What else is there to say? Well, B, do you think that despite its summer blockbuster release, I mean, my first thought from that trailer is Killian Murphy is bringing the noise, right? Yeah. Do you think that this, because correct me if I'm wrong, Dunkirk was nominated for Best Picture, but I don't think Nolan has scored a Best Director yet. Do you yeah. think that he this- was nominated for Best Director for Dunkirk. Oh, he was? Okay. Yeah. But he still has yet to win. Uh, so do you think that this is, whether it be in the acting categories or the film, whether it be uh, writing or directing or Best Picture, do you think that it's realistic to think that it could get him over the line? This is one of the most star-studded films of our careers, right? Of the 10 years that we've been in this business, I'm struggling to think of a more star-packed film. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if he's going to win Best Director because there's just so many interesting films coming up, but I certainly could see this concept 
with his act, you know, heightened delivery, scoring a, a nomination for sure. I, I just think, again, it, it is extremely star-studded, like you said. It is a monumental moment in a, not only American history, but world history. And he seems to be treating it as if it is blockbuster spectacle. So to see him thread that through such an interesting lens, because you wouldn't wouldn't necessarily associate the two, it's going to be an interesting experiment, which is a movie about an experiment, too. Yeah, Yeah, I'm on the same page. That was absolutely, I think that was going to be my top choice. And Cave, is it safe to guess that that would have been yours as well? Not my top choice, but it was on the list. Okay. Oh, wow. So Cave's still alive. All right. Well, hopefully I snake him here with my... First overall pick I am taking. Any guesses? I don't want to say it because if I say it, then true. you might All just right. take it. <laughs> All right, true. I am going with Mission Impossible. Fuck you. Fuck you. Uh, Mission Impossible. <laughs> Dead Reckoning Part 1. Your days of fighting for the so-called greater good are over. This is our chance to control the truth, the concepts of right and wrong for everyone for centuries to come. You're fighting to save an ideal that doesn't exist. Never did. You need to pick a side. There it is. Look, I just watched Fallout this past week. Not only do I think it's one of the best action films I've ever seen, and this is hyperbole free. I think it's one of the best movies I've ever seen. It is like a symphony of momentum. The way that it leads you from one either emotional dramatic beat or set piece to the next, the way that the score is both iconic for how long it's been around, but yet updated and worked into the action itself. Tom Cruise, I think this is the first one where he's got a short haircut, which to me signals that he's finally accepting that he's an older guy and isn't trying to pretend like he's 35. And I think sort of the idea of an aging Ethan Hunt is what makes Fallout so compelling. He loses basically every fight he's in in that film. And I like that. So I think that dead reckoning by virtue of that they're saying this is the end of Ethan Hunt's story. I think, and because they've been working on it for five years at this point, it feels like, I think it could surpass Fallout, especially considering the post Top Gun Maverick glow that Tom Cruise has. Tom Cruise is as hot as he's been in 20 years, really. At this point, he's going to be coming off a Best Picture nomination for sure. If the Academy is feeling ballsy, even though I doubt it, they'll squeeze in Best Actor as well. I don't feel too great about that one, but Best Picture, absolutely. So I just think that it is at a moment where like it could flirt with a billion dollars and it could be yet another elevation of the action genre. I just want to point out because people forget because it's it's been a few years the helo jump in the bathroom fight scene happened back to back the same mm-hmm. 20 minute span which is arguably the most fun 20 minutes I've had in theaters in the last five years yeah, incredible, incredible that they go back to back yeah yeah the arcade that's fine uh <laughs> mission impossible fallout is like one of the most exhilarating theater experiences I've ever had in my life of just like even though like all of the big stunts and stuff are in the trailer, like it, there's nothing like seeing it all put together and just getting to witness it. And so that's why I don't mind that we just got a 10 minute featurette of the bike stunt in, in dead reckoning. Uh, it's like, doesn't matter. Cause fallout also has a great story. I think it's just like fun to like watch. Like 
I'm not going to say it's not going to go for any awards or anything like that. No, it's not- I, I was just going to say, I find the plot of these all these films to be wildly confusing. I don't understand <laughs> why they're all so confusing, but I do think after you've watched it three, four, five times, yeah. and you can wrap your head around yeah. the story, it's a legitimate espionage thriller as well. So a writer at Observer when I was there, I can't remember who a freelancer said it, but they said Fallout is the number one masterclass in dramatic tension. And I was like, nailed yeah. it. Yeah. I the um the opening scene with the wolf blitzer mask, like the 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 mission impossible stereotype, the trope of the mask is like they have to find new ways to like kind of do it in an interesting way, otherwise it gets really, really fucking boring and stupid. And they just keep doing it. And the whole, like, we're done when I say we're done or whatever he says. And then the, the it cuts to the theme. It's like one of the greatest openings to yeah. a movie ever. So, yeah, I'm it, the fact that they got everyone back for Dead Reckoning Part 1 and 2 is very exciting. And they're adding people who were in, like, the first film yeah. back. They're adding new character. It's just, yeah, it's wild. There's a lot of love and passion for Mission Impossible as a franchise by Macquarie, which is just great. It's, it's exactly what you want. And I am B. You're the perfect guy to ask for this. I looked back, and lo- let me double check. I believe Fallout made $850 million. It made I think it's like, almost $800. It's like yeah, 790 it, something. Yeah. Okay, do you have that on Blu-ray? I do. It's right over there. Yeah, yeah. I've been trying to find that as well. So yeah, 178 mil budget, 791 at the box office. B, do you think that this could make a billion? I don't know if it's going to make a billion, but I think it's going to be the highest grossing one in the franchise. What do you think has a better shot at a billion? This or Oppenheimer? Definitely Mission Impossible. Like easily, not even close. Okay. That's Yeah. I mean, Nolan is Nolan. I, I I love Nolan, but like you know, Dunkirk like an made like five hundred million. Yeah, yeah. Did five, you know, and and that was his biggest kind of prestige. Dunkirk play. made five twenty seven. I, I know, but Oppenheimer's like, not. You know, it's not even. It's not touching a billion. If it does, I'll, I'll be shocked and pleasantly surprised okay. and happy about it. All right, Cade, you're up, and you get two back okay. to back. Spider Man Across the Spider Verse. Great pick. Go from here. You have to promise to take care of that little boy for me. Make sure he never forgets where he came from. And he never doubts that he is loved. And he never lets anyone. Obviously, it's no secret, big Spider-Man fan here. And uh, I remember when they announced they were doing an animated Spider-Man movie along with 780 different Sony spinoffs. I'm like, fuck. This is going to suck. I felt the same way. <laughs> and who, who needs this? I was like, Ugh, all right. And then as more information started to come out, they're like, it's a Miles Morales movie. I'm like, okay, interesting. And it looks like this. And the Phil Lord and Chris Miller are doing it. I'm like, what the hell is this? This is crazy. And it turned out to be fucking amazing. And um, we can complain all we want about multiverse and, and whatnot as a, as a tool in movies nowadays. But uh Spider-Man has this very unique thing of like every Spider-Man is connected to this like trauma and pain and like they they support each other and they build each other up and that's really cool and then the fact that there's like hundreds of them in this movie and they're like fighting him and all this other crazy shit is like just pure nerdy bullshit that I'm so on board for and I know it will have the heart and soul that the last movie had which is very critical um, Do you have a face. Spider-Man that you're most psyched to see? 
it's it's hard because like I don't know how many of them are gonna like speak, you know, or are they all just gonna be decorative? You know, is kind right. of like the problem. So I don't I don't know. I want to see the one from the PS4 game kind of have a little bit a small role, you know, a little uh-huh. little dialogue or whatever. And I feel like the opportunity to make a good joke is there because of when they changed Peter's face in those yeah. games. That was yeah. an op- <laughs> opportunity for a very meta joke. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. You could have two of them, and they're they're the same one but different me- different Ex- faces. That'd be great. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So like that like, spectacular Spider-Man. What? There's, there's two of me. And there's a lot of just weird fucking Spider-Man throughout many many years of comics and stuff that you can just do a lot of. Weird you mean it gets weirder stuff. than Spider-Ham? Yeah, it gets so weird. It just <laughs> I feel like that's pretty top-notch weird. That's that's up there. It's definitely up there. I mean, there's there's Spider-Mans with like actual spider arms, like like right. eight arms or whatever. And man another, spider. There's there's a literal one that's a a man that's made of dozens of spiders. So oh it's literally God, he takes off the mask and just yeah. a bunch of spiders. I do not like spiders. That sounds yeah. terrible. Oh, he's he's a creepy fuck um so yeah i'm very excited for that great movie pick. uh and the spot is a great spider-man villain and he's gonna mm-hmm. be in it so i'm very excited to see him um so i get number two right yep yes, sir. okay <sighs> i'm gonna say creed three i i i really love the creed movies i've still not seen them that's crazy to me oh, oh please give me a break <laughs> coming from me i know you gotta um see they're so you especially i think would really love them they are just like masterclasses and triumph and and well, underdog with three, stories well, with three coming out i've got to watch them absolutely uh and michael b jordan just kills it i mean like i think when people heard oh my god they're doing a rocky spinoff again going back to spinoffs they're like fuck why let rocky go and then they found a way to do it in a way that's like fresh and new and bring rocky into it in a way that's fun and like new and and just exciting and it's a very emotional story um and again michael b jordan just kills it i'm excited to see what he can do as a director in this new yeah, one that's same. really cool so yeah I'm, I'm amped up for that one all right then it's me and then b you get to and if we have time we'll have tech on a fourth each all right for my six huh tough choices here you know there's a lot of good films to choose yeah there is. yeah so it's for a my good year for my number two pick i am going with john wick four what is there to say about John Wick? You know, I, it is the, you know, outside of Mission Impossible, probably the best action, true action franchise we have. Each film, if not getting better, I think the quality has sort of remained the same throughout all three, but mm-hmm. the stunts get bigger each time. Mm-hmm. So as long as they keep delivering on that, I'm all for it. They've added Donnie Yen to this mm-hmm. one, and I cannot <coughs> pronounce his name but the samurai guy from Westworld and the last samurai, and he's been playing a samurai forever. (laughs) He's in it as well. Uh, It comes out pretty soon, which I think is very exciting. Keanu Reeves is probably the easiest guy to root for in Hollywood. This has been delayed quite a bit. I think this was supposed to come out a couple years ago. I think it'll probably be the biggest and most successful film in the franchise yet. And like I said at the top, what more can I say about John Wick? I found John Wick 3 ran too long. I thought it, yeah, it really right. overstays its welcome, I think. And I, I remember getting a little annoyed at the end when he gets thrown off a fucking building and just gets right back up or gets dragged into an alley. He's like, oh, yeah, I just need to, you know, get some ice. It's like, yeah, <laughs> I like yeah. I get it. I like too. Okay. I, I mean, I get it. It is, it is 
over the top stupid uh, in many instances. But at a certain point, I'm like, uh, I, I hope they, they know where to find that balance because I think three started to tip a little further. I like that movie still. Don't get me wrong. But uh, I need to know that they, they can keep me hooked. Uh, and, and it looks very good. Four looks very good. Uh, uh, yeah, it does. B, you're up and you get two. Oof, man. All right. Well, to continue the basic white boy, going to go with Martin Scorsese's Killers of the oh, Flower Moon. You yes. know, just, just first of all, Martin Scorsese's arguably the best living American director. There's probably a few people who have, you know, vie for that that title, but he's certainly up there. I Second of all, you have another movie. really, really stacked <laughs> cast between Leonardo DiCaprio, between Robert De Niro, between Jesse Plemons, who is really, you know, one of, one of our, this podcast's favorite underrated. Brendan Fraser. Brendan, yeah, I forgot that Brendan Fraser's in it. Yeah, so so that's great. Uh, three, we're going to see Leo in yet another villain role, which uh, I, I say yet another, but he's really, only, this is only his second uh, behind Django. So I think that's mm-hmm. really, really exciting to see that side of him. A very talented actor was not really dipped a toe in, in villainy that often. Uh, three, I mean, you, you know, you shouldn't get too caught up in this because it doesn't really mean anything for quality. But it's a two hundred million dollar western. That's insane. That's intriguing. Like that piques my interest. What does that even look like? So I think that's going to be a, a really interesting element to play with. I didn't really love The Irishman, so Martin Scorsese plus big budget doesn't guarantee like oh my favorite movie of the year. But I, I just think this is a, a really cool opportunity to tell a story about the kind of evils of developing America and how that resulted in the deaths of of a lot of innocent Native Americans from one of our greatest living directors with a star-studded cast and another, you know, Oscar chase for for Leo. So I I think all those elements combined make it very intriguing to me. True, but, and it is going to come out this year, but still not dated. Still not not last year. I'm assuming it's it's coming out this year. That's what it all signs point to. But yeah, still not dated. Still no trailers or anything. All right, B, you get what? is your last pick now man it's like i'm looking at this list and i'm like i I really like a lot of these movies but if i if i had to pick one again kind of continuing the basic white boy trend i'm going with (laughs) i would say dune part two denis villeneuve who has become that you know film bros go to love affair of the moment now uh i've talked about it on this pod dune one is a movie i greatly appreciate think it's one of the most technically masterful films i've seen but overall felt a little bit disconnected i gave it an eight out of ten like didn't love it really loved the book but i'm excited because i think this film has the opportunity to go beyond a little bit of the exposition that's necessary uh go beyond a little bit of the very, very esoteric elements of the book that I don't think Denis always handled super well. I think if you if you hadn't read the books, it's very hard to kind of key in on what exactly is going on internally with Paul and uh, his abilities and, and his struggle. But I think Dune 2 has the opportunity now that some of the, again, exposition heavy lifting is out of the way, for them to really focus in on not only the character and the mythology, but a lot of the action-packed sequences that do come from the second half of the book. Once again, you have an unbelievable uh, uh, cast. You have a filmmaker who's one of the most technically proficient in the industry. It's going to be a mesmerizing spectacle, and I think the quality will be improved this time around. Uh, And again, that's still saying 8 out of 10 ain't bad for the first Mm. one. Yeah, I struggled with Dune mightily. I have not revisited it yet. I'm hoping I will like part two more. I still need to sort of try to wrap my head around the first one in the first place. Uh, All right, for my last pick, 
I already took two action films and two sequels. So even though there's something on the board, I'd love to nab. I'm not going to go down that route. Had I remembered Killers of the Flower Moon, I would have 100% taken that. In lieu of that, for something a little more art house, I'm going to go with Wes Anderson's Asteroid City. Uh, probably the most stacked cast he's got, just to name a few. And this is off the top of my dome. Margot Robbie, Tom Hanks, Brian Cranston, Jeffrey Wright, Scarlett Crazy. Johansson. Now I've got it pulled up here. I, um, I'd just like to interject quickly. Remember, it is an anthology. So they're oh, it is. Are you like, sure? Much like um, what's the one that just came Are out? Are you sure it is? Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Turn you off to it or what? Turns what? No, that turns me off absolutely because I did not really enjoy French Dispatch that much. Nah. All right, forget everything I, don't I like said. Anthology movies, the anthology shows. I'm all for. I, I just don't think the format works for film very well. Yeah, I uh, forget sense. everything I just said. Thanks, Brandon. I'm going with Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy three. Fuck it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Fuck Art House. Marvel all the way. Yeah, no, a fair pivot, a really fair yeah, it's, pivot. It's a good I tried, but he went to Art House for me. That anthology shit sucks. It's like, yeah, <laughs> let's make a nine-act film. Great idea. <laughs> um, Guardians of the Galaxy 1 is the best MCU film. It's one of the best sci-fi films of the last 20 years. I think that while Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is nowhere near as close, as good in quality as the first one was, its third act is as good of a third act as Marvel has ever had. It is as emotional as the franchise has had. So I think if you know you take the fact that James Gunn was already ringing probably the most authentic emotion that the MCU has out of the films where people aren't dying, and now it's the conclusive chapter where we expect half of them to die, it'll probably have a scope bigger than Guardians of the Galaxy 2, but smaller than Ant-Man 3, which I think is a real sort of sweet spot in terms of stakes. Like we know that people are dying and that these deaths are going to be legitimate, but we also know that because the Guardians sort of main, uh, exist in a different realm of the MCU, whatever they're dying for is probably a good cause. It's not just like, oh, why can't Cap or Thor show up? The Guardians are kind of the only ones dealing with this shit that they deal with. So I think that not only will the deaths ring true in terms of the franchise's natural life, but in terms of the story itself, um yeah that's it uh I, i'm still on three i got three and four. Oh, oh, okay um, do you want me to flesh out the third one or just... yes please, okay. please, please evil dead rise is my third um i am very excited for that movie did you guys watch the trailer i've not you guys big you're not really big no people. i've never even seen them oh my goodness me neither uh, <laughs> all right um <laughs> well uh Classic Sam Raimi horror. Uh, obviously, you wouldn't know what that means. <laughs> You've never seen his horror movies, but um, they are amazing movies. They have a little bit of camp. They're a little bit spooky. They're really gory and gross and just fun time. It's a, it's a classic spook house. And this one moves from out of the cabin that's in the woods, typically, and into a high-rise apartment. And cool. they've, like, I think the idea is they've they've gathered this the evil book from the movies and they've taken the curse back home, whereas it would normally be in the woods. And the mom of this family gets possessed and she's like all creepy and gross and looks like she just got pulled out of a grave. And she's mean and she uses a cheese grater on someone's leg, which oh. is pretty fucked up. And 
and she uh she says some some crazy ass shit it it looks i like i was very nervous about it because it was supposed to be straight to hbo max and then oh. it had good test screenings so they said we can put it in theaters but i was still like i'm not sure about moving away from the woods but then i saw a trailer i'm like this is gonna be one of the best things i see this year i guarantee it i'm Dude, so I, I loved that because you broke that down as if you were like a buddy telling me about a movie on our bus ride to school that's what it yeah. felt to me like and i love that vibe <laughs> it's like man, Peter, man wait, till your, wait till your parents go to bed and turn it on you're gonna, I love, you're gonna love it uh it's no it's, seriously I, you you've you've piqued my interest i mean i know they're beloved movies i yeah. Now, based on like that excitement, what you just said, I'm like, okay, one of these days in the near future, I'm I'm gonna start the Evil Dead franchise. Yeah, I would definitely say the older ones are very, very low budget, and like you know, if you can't appreciate that, then I would just say start the 2013 one. It's kind of a soft reboot, but it gets the same vibes across. It's very good. Uh, and then I won't harp on the fourth one too much here. Um, I was trying to think, like I I really don't don't know i don't want to pick another franchise movie i I wrote down saw x which is another horror movie because i like saw it's a guilty pleasure i like the one with chris rock but uh it doesn't have a release date but i'm gonna take it because i think it could come out this year it's in post-production the bike riders uh i'm talking about this other movie the bike riders oh uh, yes with jeff nichols Nichols. he's directing um i think that tom hardy we don't know much about it other than it's a biker gang in the 1960s and it kind of follows them throughout a, a decade as, as that changes. And, you know, all I need to know is Jeff stuff. Nichols, is Jeff Nichols, it. Mike, Michael Shannon, uh, Austin Butler, Tom Hardy, Jody Comer, yeah, uh, okay. Boyd Hoiberg. Oh, I just thought of what I'm going to tack on to the end if I get it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're up. So. Yeah. Oh, wait, am I? Yeah. Yeah. Me? yeah. David Fincher's the killer. That was- that was oh. in the running for my my third pick. It was not, I, this has not that been filming? dated either, but yeah. similar to Killers of the Flower Moon, it was kind of vaguely used to come out last year. Okay. It seems like it's going to come out this year. Yes. My it's boy so Fastbender, the Fastbender sauce is fucking coming. I was it's also good. thinking about Next Goal Wins, but the killer yeah. is way cooler. Yeah, definitely. So, so there you go. I was going to split mine between Barbie and Next Goal Wins. <laughs> You've got um, Greta Gerwig, who is just two for two and in a resounding start to her feature career with Lady Bird and Little Women, both knocked it out of the park. So I'll I'll trust anything she does at this point. And you've got an unbelievable satirical take on what has been this very kind of divisive, very commercial product for decades, which I think is such an interesting way in. And you've got Ryan Gosling going full gonzo comedy, which is only going to be a good thing. Like, come on. And I love Margot Robbie. And then next goal with people acting as if, you know, Thor Love and Thunder just just ruins Taika Waititi's whole career. I'm like, are you guys crazy? What we do in the shadows, hunt for the wilder people, Thor Ragnarok, what we do in the shadows, TV show, Jojo Rabbit, which admittedly divisive, but has a lot of good elements. You know, one of the best Mandalorian episodes, our flag means death, like. I'm sorry, like one bad movie does not erase all of the quality yeah. and very unique voice that he that he has carved out. So those two are definitely probably my my bonus picks for for reasons of of creator talent. Yeah, I'm right there. I mean, look, Thor four was a complete mess, but you get <laughs> what I maintain is one of the best A list stars that we have in Fassbender. Taika and then this story I cannot think of a more perfect Taika story as I've said a few times it's about the story of a team that was ranked as the worst national soccer team on the planet earth 
trying to qualify for the World Cup and they hire an eccentric American coach to do it. And it's just, it seems so right for him. Uh, all right, boys, this, uh, it feels like last year was a real sort of test run, but this really feels like the first year that movie and the business, the way that we knew it is back. B, you put out a good thread this week. I actually had a lot of films that you had on my list as well, but talk to me real quick about the films that you think could make a billion dollars. Jeez, what what did I say? I can't even remember. Oh, here, I, I, I could, uh... He's just spewing bullshit. He's just making it up as he goes along. No, can't even I remember just, what I said. I, I, I had the same ones as him, to be honest. Oh, no, okay. This this was, it wasn't necessarily what I thought was going to be um, a billion dollar movies, but my loose prediction for what could be the 10 highest grossing movies was uh, the Super Mario Bros. movie, Fast X, Transformers, Rise of the Beast, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, The Marvels, The Flash, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, Mission Impossible 7, The Little Mermaid, and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I think we could have between two and three billion dollar movies. I think Guardians is possible. It's, it's probably going to be tough. I think The Little Mermaid's definitely possible based on track record. I think... Um, I think uh, I feel like you're underselling Mario, but I mean, potentially, I think it's, you know, I think it's going to be one of the 10 highest grossers. I feel like that's pretty good, but true, true. yeah, illumination does well. I mean, so they have rise of grew almost just made a billion fucking dollars. Yeah. That, that was, I mean, you know, despicable me crushes the minions crushes. I think Indiana Jones, the dial of destiny is going to attract a lot of the older demographic, which, which is very underserved. I think, you know, transformers, the Rise of the Beast, that tr- the trailer views, which is not always a, a you know one to one indicator of box office success, but they blew Indiana Jones and uh, I think it was Guardians three out of the water and tra- like yeah. by by tens of millions of trailer views. And while Bumblebee obviously would top that, not even a good trailer. <laughs> in my opinion, yeah. So I I think there's renewed interest in, in that series. So I I think we could have a a, a good chunk of successful films. I still don't think we're we're gonna get back to pre covid box office levels domestically or overseas but i definitely think another leap forward in 2023 more product which is which is important but still not not as many big wide releases in 2023 as pre-covid we're still working our way back up volume Uh, nothing says the return of cinema like more product all right let's swing over to my interview with gerard butler Folks, today I am joined by Gerard Butler, an actor you know from projects such as 300, Olympus Has Fallen, Den of Thieves, and his new film, Plane, which hits theaters on January 13th. Thank you so much for your time today, sir. Pleasure. Uh, I, I want to start with one of the stunts on Plane or set pieces. There's a fight scene in this film that has such a realistic brutality to it that it actually reminded me of the knife scene in Saving Private Ryan. Just the way that it's two guys really just like rolling around gouging out eyes and stuff what are the challenges of of shooting a set piece like that versus something on a larger scale like a three uh, 300 or a has fallen film well um the the challenge of this was and, and i hope it gets remembered for this this we shot that whole sequence in one with one camera that never rarely, 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 rarely happens. The whole fight sequence in one. Normally, you spend days filming it. You break it down into six segments, maybe. And you have different cameras covering different hits. And then they chop it to shit, you know? And 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 you're like, you see a bit of a punch in this. 
this way, if you do it in one, you cannot miss a single hit or you got to start the whole thing again. And it allows it to be propulsive and real and messy and exhausting and desperate. And that was one of the ideas about the fight. And it doesn't let up. There's no escape. You're with it from the start to the finish. And as an audience, you're as exhausted as as, as they are watching it. So I, I really feel like that worked. I, 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 it was a big fight to keep it like that because certain forces were like, well, maybe we can cut back to the daughter and her. He's like, no, once we're in this fight, we're not why would you want to you, go anywhere else you could barely breathe with him you know what i mean like you're you're right there and i think there's a time and a place for fights to look like they're cool and fights to look like this is the worst thing on earth and that and that was the right time for that sort of fight right, scene right. so oh, cool. i now want to talk about all the various professions that you've portrayed throughout your career which was the most difficult to prepare for and which do you think you'd be the best fit for in real life um Probably a Viking in How to Train Your Dragon. That that was hard work, getting getting to that size and really learning how to you know fly a dragon. Um, no, what, what have I been? I can't hold on. I've God, been, you've a, been a cop, a pilot, assassin. Oh, an assassin. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then um, and then um, uh, Secret Service. And, and what was the question? What was the what, one that I? What was I the be... hardest to train for, and what do you think that you would be the best at? Um, probably the the like I put a lot of training in and playing, um, but it was in it, it was. It, I, I learned, I, I've learned to fly anyway. I'd fl flown a lot on a helicopter. And, and so for me, that's fun. I mean, it's a big difference between a small plane and a commercial airliner, but I think maybe because especially because I've done three movies now and hung out with a lot of secret service guys. And that I think that might be the one that I'd be best, best suited to. Although I'm also a bit of an idiot, I'm kind of hapless. So I'd be that guy who right, right when the assassin comes past me with a gun, I'll be like, hello, mom. Hey, mom. And, and looking the other way, you know, while you, you're never going to believe what this guy is trying to do to me right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I completely miss him. He's like walking there and I'm like, hello, hello. Uh, <clears throat> so I, I don't have as much time as I thought I would. So I've got to jump ahead a bit. 300, the one of the seminal action films of my lifetime celebrated its 15 year anniversary this past year, which hurts to say out loud. And it, I don't think at this point, there's no denying that that film is a cultural fixture as the star in the heart of that film whether it was during the production or the release at what point did you realize that it would have the cultural impact that it had Gerard I still say in various contexts tonight we dine in hell so at what point did you realize like this movie's gonna fucking stick around man uh that, that, that that's a good question I, I remember the first screening of it in a packed cinema but with my whole team next to me, all the agents and managers. And, and, and I'm so used to being in a movie where there's something wrong with it. There's always an issue, but this just went from good to great. Uh, and I'm like, when is it going to let me down? When, and then it finished. And I never forget looking down the line and seeing everybody literally leaning like this going. <laughs> and, and the audience are screaming and cheering. And I knew then we had something special but that opening weekend, when when it did that huge box office and people weren't getting into cinemas, and then I I, I knew then okay we have a big hit, but I had to be further down the line when you could 
actually see uh, suddenly they're playing in the Yankee Stadium. They use it in a corporate events. They're using it all over the world and 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 in and, and sports and every kind of context that you go. This is actually now starting to settle into to part of the culture. Um, and, and I think what helps is is, is that it was stylistically progressive so it doesn't seem like it's aged as much as much as how old it is right right i i agree yeah so it's as you say stylistically progressive but at the same time the ideas are so basic and it's not the most complicated movie it's like here's a a, a small group of guys who are complete badasses who are willing to die for their cause and who trained their whole life against a way bigger force you know, and it's all about unity and you know uh, teamwork and, and 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 nobility and courage and sacrifice and those. Th- this was the perfect way to display those with a certain kind of wildness on top of you know the look of the movie. It just all seemed to work. So now, going from the film that you're probably asked about the most, I'm going to swing over to one that you probably don't get asked about much, and that's Reign of Fire. I, uh, I I caught this on cable a few weeks ago, and I think that's another one that's kind of just this amazing artifact of that moment in time in film. When I bring that up, what do you remember from shooting that, particularly sharing scenes with two Academy Award-winning movie stars when you guys are both kind of at a very similar career moment? So when you think about shooting that film, what pops in your head? Well, you say we're both at a similar career because I was just starting out then and they were already, you know, we had, I don't think uh, either of them had uh, won the... Well, Bale, I mean, Bale had American Psycho and McConaughey had A Time to Kill, but I wouldn't say any of them are come see these guys in this movie quite yet. I- I'm trying to say that, I, you know, I'm trying to give you... The oh, that's really because I thought they were. I mean, for sure, they were way bigger. St- I-, I-, I considered myself lucky just to be a part of that movie that was only i think my my third studio movie um and and i was always the other guy you know it was like with angelina jolie and then you get the up-and-coming guy and then you know rain of fire and and you got or you got um you know the two of them and then the up-and-coming guy (laughs) well i will just say though in hindsight you don't just say oh look it's got bail and that you say it's got bail mcconaughey and you like I feel like your name is right there with them. So oh, please see no. that. Uh, yeah, no, I didn't expect to hear that. No, I, I, I expected to. Wait, was Jerry Butler in that movie? Wait, <laughs> he was in that movie too. Um, but I, but, but what? You know, I actually thought that was a really good movie. I thought they both did a great job. I enjoyed the character that I had to play. The movie did not perform very well, and and that bummed me out because I thought it was a really good movie, but it just. Maybe people found it too dark. Maybe it needed more fun. I don't know what 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 it was, but but I I did feel that it deserved to do better than it did. Gerard, I I've got to wrap here. Let me just say now, in the post Game of Thrones world, if that comes out now, that's a massive hit. So I, that's true. Twenty Maybe years too late, sir. It. Thank you so much for your time and entertaining me for virtually all of my adult life. When you when oh. your face is on a poster, I'm there, man. Oh, that's awesome, man. Alrighty, thank you for. Blah, blah, blah. Alrighty, thank you to Gerard for jo- and then the voice cracked on that one. <laughs> we got that. Alrighty, and thank you to Gerard for joining me. I had a blast. He was a lovely guy. Thanks to B and Cave for joining me today. Follow Brandon at.
I am Rusty, boys. And follow Brandon at great underscore Catsby and all the great work he's doing at Parrot Analytics. Follow Cade at Cade underscore Onder and all of his work at comicbook.com. Follow me at Eric Italiano and the work I do at Bro Bible, as I mentioned at the top of the show. Next week, we will be getting our The Last of Us recaps, weekly breakdowns, whatever you want to call it. We will talk to you all then. Peace.